Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jade Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Tanner Supers family. Coming to you on the heels of a Minnesota win over Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, the the old enemy, as usual. It's five games straight against the, against the Miami Heat, and it is just as satisfying every single time, especially when our former lover, Jimmy Butler, is missing open layups in the clutch time and really just throwing the game away. I'm not sure if Jimmy Butler had a bet a large wager against the Miami Heat last night, but if he did, he would have won it. And it, I know Tyler it Hero did. I know Tyler Hero did. <laughs> that is Jack Borman. He's here as usual to to join me and to talk about that. Tyler Hero, another player who didn't cover himself in glory last night. Uh, Tanner Super's contributor, all-round friend of the show, Jack, what is going on? I mean, I'm great after watching last night's game. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, there was a lot a lot of uh, a lot of good narratives to come out of that. Uh, Tyler Hero just, you know, proclaimed a revenge tour three games ago, and in those three games since, uh, he and his Miami Heat are 0-3, and he has had 10, 5, and 4 points in those three games. Um, so just, just delightful all the way around. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big Jimmy fan still, so it was fun to see him play well and and him and Kat kind of go blow for blow, um, you know, in stretches down in the post, which, which was fun to see, um, especially late in that game right before Kat fouled out. But, um, but yeah, it was a fun night. Um, and definitely kind of, you know, good to have the Timberwolves kind of give you one, um, one game that, (laughs) that kind of keeps the morale high, if you will. Um, you know, heading into what's going to be a, a tough, tough stretch. Hopefully that, hopefully one will get some competitive basketball, but can also kind of, um, you know, keep some of the, the hard tanking teams uh, at bay a little bit. Yeah, last night was definitely refreshing after the, the two, the back-to-back against Brooklyn and Milwaukee, which was just a destroyance yeah i didn't watch I didn't, I, I didn't watch much of that because I, I had class at, at at those times um on both of those days yeah. but um you know in the little bit that i did watch i didn't even really go and bother to rewatch because i just what's there to glean from uh, that? i don't think you i don't think you missed much yeah but i mean yeah just an absolute shit pounding um you know just no <laughs> no other way to put it man like i also thought it was hilarious that brooklyn played kd and blake and uh, and then rested and then them, the, rested next them the next game, like when they absolutely <laughs> needed them, and then played them again the next day against Charlotte, <laughs> like without like Terry Rozier, All Lives Matter, um, you know Lamelo, obviously Malik Monk, PJ, like all those guys were out. I mean, whew. 
Steve Nash is. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Steve Nash guy. I think the Nets are awesome, but that was uh, that was interesting. Um, so we have some questions that we that we got for the mailbag today. I also want to just get into a few things that have kind of been rattling around my brain. The first thing, and I know that you are the perfect man to discuss this, is the I guess the reemergence of Josh Okogie. Uh We've just been discussing off air kind of his last 15 games post all-star break numbers uh that's he's played nine of the last 15 games obviously he was in the health and safety protocols for obviously six games i think and and kind of in and out of the lineup a little bit but in those nine games he's averaged 7.9 points 54.8 percent shooting 50 percent shooting from three on two attempts per game 2.6 boards you know half an assist a steal it's it's been awesome. It's been awesome to see Josh Cody, and I've more than anyone have been, you know, kind of on Josh's back this season, especially about what he can bring offensively and how much that kind of detracts from from his obvious defensive skills. But but lately, Chris Finch seems to have found a role for him. It's in the starting unit as well, which is so important to have that that point of attack and all round defensive smarts there. Give me your thoughts on Josh Cody and and especially the the Undertaker style kind of rising from his grave that he that he's gone through lately. Yeah, man. I mean, I've taken a lot of shit this year for you know my my very public support of Josh Kogi. Um, I wrote an article back um, before the season started this past summer about why I thought Josh Kogi was part of the solution and not part of the problem on Minnesota um, and. and you know, we saw that come to fruition in a lot of different ways. So I, I wrote back then that, that just based on the quality of attempts that Josh Akogi took um, at the rim and from three, that the discrepancy between the quality of his three-point looks or kind of the expected effective field goal percentage attached to his looks, uh, which is from pbpstats.com, um, compared to his actual you know three-point shooting percentage or overall EFG, that gap, I think, was the second largest in the NBA behind only R.J. Barrett. And now we've seen R.J. Barrett take this huge step forward in year two because he's still getting very high-quality looks but is now converting them at a higher rate. Um, and we're starting to see the same thing from Josh. So that was a big part of that article, and we're starting to see that come to fruition. Like, I don't really think Josh Okogie has bad shot form by any means. Um, I mean, since, since the All-Star break um obviously josh has missed some games in the health and safety protocols but he's played 15 games since the all-star break and he shot 37 free throws uh in those 15 games which comes out to be you know about two and a half a game um and he's shooting 89 percent from the line so he's 33 of his last 37 from the line um and he's 11 of his last 27 from three which is uh just a shed under or a a little bit under 40, 41%. I mean, I think we're just starting to see Josh really play within himself. Um, he's cutting really well without the basketball. Um, and, and, you know, he's taking really good open shots. Um, you know, I think we're starting to see Josh shoot more, shoot it more from the corners and be willing to shoot it from the corners. Um, I think that, you know, when, when Chris Finch took over, he kind of said that there's certain players that he wanted to put guardrails on was, was the term that he used. Um, and I think for Josh, those Part of his guardrails have been, you know, trying to limit his driving to the rim and uh, really trying to, uh, you know, kind of focus his three-point shooting into 
um, into those corners. Uh, and I think we're seeing that pay off in a major way. Um, I think we're seeing a more confident version of him, one that's been, you know, good at, at playing off of playing off of Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell when he shared the floor with them. Um, and just one that's been far more impactful than what we've seen in, in the past, just because, you know, he's not a huge, um, you know, a huge negative on the offensive end of the floor. And, and we're starting to see, um, you know, some of the comfortability that he showed on offense at, at Georgia Tech. Um, he was a 40% three-point shooter at Georgia Tech. And I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, the quality of, of looks that he got and the way that he played within himself. Um, so and the confidence, I think, yeah, and the confidence absolutely. Of just being a guy who's scoring eighteen points per game or whatever he was putting up at Georgia Tech, yeah, because you can see you can see it with him when that confidence is is high, the the shot looks smoother, it looks obviously more confident, it just every his whole offensive game blossoms when he isn't playing for his life almost every on every offensive possession. Yeah, and the other thing too that I want to point out with Josh is, is I'm sure some people listening to this know this, but but I, I'm not sure if everybody does. So it was Josh Okogie's idea um, for the Timberwolves to auction off all of their uh, warm-up shirts that they wore that said, um, with liberty and justice for all. Um, and... And, and so the Timberwolves wore those, the Bucks wore those, the Nets wore those, and the Heat wore those. So those were four teams, and they auctioned all of this, and they had all the players sign it, I believe, and they had it auctioned off on Timberwolves.com. And, and Josh raised $22,000 that all went to, um, to Dante Wright's family, um, which was pretty damn cool. Um, and I, and I you know, mentioned in that article back in, in August, I think it was, that um, you know, that Josh is really a leader on this team. And a lot of it has to do with, with what he wants to do in, you know, creating a more equitable and just Minnesota um, in Minneapolis for, you know, not just for, you know, people that are currently here, but for kids growing up here and, um, and the next generation. And Josh has been an, an amazing leader, um, you know, and, and he's been a great influence. Uh, he's a really positive energy for, you know, guys like Jared Vanderbilt, uh, who, who he really took under his wing this last summer. Um, and Anthony Edwards, too. Like, I don't think anybody on the Timberwolves has a bad word to say about Josh Okogie. Um, And I think there's a very clear reason why Josh has, you know, been one of the two holdovers from the Tibbs era is because I think that, you know, not just this front office and coaching staff are confident in Josh, but I think Carl is really confident in Josh too. Um, and, and I think that you're starting to see kind of all of that confidence, um, you know, kind of, kind of come to a point and come to a head where, um, you know, we're just kind of seeing the fully optimized version of Josh Kogi offensively, um, you know, and, and then you already know what you're going to get from him on the defensive end of the floor um, and rebounding the basketball as well. So, so just kind of seeing all that come, come together for Josh has been, has been so fun and cool to see because, I mean, he's just an awesome dude. He's impossible to root against. Um, and, you know, obviously, I really hope that, that he's going to be, you know, a big part of, of what the Timberwolves, you know, do this rest of the year um, and beyond. Um, just because if he's able to play, obviously, you know, you're not expecting him to have you know, 47, 41, 90 shooting splits uh, moving forward. But, but if he can, if he can even be a league average shooter, um, you know, and still get to the line like he has been, there's, there's no reason that Josh can't be a super impactful player moving forward. Yeah. And I think I don't want to gloss over the point that you made there about just what he does 
off the court. I think that's just super, super important. And maybe maybe even, like you said, one of the reasons why they haven't been so quick to, to throw his name in trade offers because he is just a guy who seems to fall on the right side of every single major issue. And not only does he fall on the right side in terms of saying the right things in the media, he falls on the right side as in he doesn't do he doesn't does stuff about it. And, you know, as you said with the with the the foundation, the twenty two thousand that they raised, it's it's every player I'm sure every player on the team, every player probably in the league, wants to do the right thing and will will do the right thing when prompted to do it. But Josh is the guy who prompts other players to do those things. He's the guy who who goes out and makes these things happen and gets the rest of his team to follow along with him. And that's just, you know, basketball's basketball, man. Like, when it comes to, to the social injustice going over going on over in Minneapolis and in the Twin Cities in general, and in the States in general, uh, I think that that's a, there's a lot of things that are more important than basketball, and Josh Kogi definitely seems to, to, have, to take that wider view on things, and, and that's... That's just so more important, so much more important than anything he can do on the court. And the bonus is that right now we're getting maybe the best version of Josh Curry we've ever seen outside of maybe those first few rookie years when he was the rookie season games when he was the shiny new new toy and Tibbs wouldn't let him off the pine. Um, but, but I just I'm happy as I've always said on this show. I'm happy to kind of walk back on my words because I want everyone on this team to, to play well. And I've been harsh on Josh. I thought he's been Fairly, you know, a negative for, for most of the, the start of this season. But just as we saw last season, I don't know if it's just something with him where it takes him a while to kind of get into the rhythm of things, if the All-Star break is something he needs. But he, he came, he's coming out firing again after the All-Star break, and it's not like... It doesn't seem to have changed that much about his game. Like you said, he's shooting more corner threes. But I think it's just the confidence. He's, he's still a great cutter. He's an elite pump faker around the rim. I don't, I don't know. I still don't know how he gets anyone to fall for those pump fakes because he's not really that good at converting the shots. But if, if Josh is around the rim, he's gonna pump fake you to death. He's gonna draw a foul. He's he's just an elite foul drawer, which is such a such a valuable skill set to have, especially on this team that has guys like D'Angelo Russell who doesn't get to the ring enough and, and, and doesn't draw fouls at the rim. Ricky Rubio is the same. Malik Beasley's the same. Anthony Edwards has kind of been up and down in that, that um, area, but has gotten better lately. But but drawing fouls is the best way to generate efficient offense. And Josh Cody is probably the best foul drawer on this team, maybe alongside Anthony Towns. So, just just bringing a skill set that really matters right now. And most importantly, I think, is that Chris Finch clearly respects that and clearly acknowledges that. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that every single coach that Josh Cody plays for seems to end up with him in the starting lineup. <laughs> I think that should be mentioned because he does the right things and clearly it stands out for guys who see him every day. Absolutely. And the one other thing too that, that you know, I, I, I hope people understand is like Josh Okoge is a really, really solid rebounder for his size. Um, you know, right. he battles inside. He, he almost always has one or two, you know, really key putbacks in any Timberwolves win that they have that come at opportune times. 
Um, and he just makes life difficult for, for other players um, on the other team whenever he's guarding them. Um, you know, I obviously think that, like, there were some shortcomings with Josh at the four. And, and you know, I, I thought that that was going to be something that really worked, and it, and it hasn't necessarily. But, but to be able to, you know, see what Josh has been able to do post-All-Star break, um, you know, I think really gives you a glimpse of what he can be like when, A, there's some continuity because, you know, there were a million different lineups that he got tossed into pre-All-Star, but I also don't think he was very healthy pre-All-Star. Um, I, I think he, he like D'Angelo, has a lot more juice um, in, in just in the way he's moving laterally on defense, um, the way he's exploding to the rim when he does drive, uh, when he does cut. I um, mean, it just looks like, you know, he's got a much more solid base underneath him when, he sh- when he's shooting. Um, and obviously when you're dealing with a hamstring injury, like those things can linger and you cannot, and you can, you know, be susceptible to not trusting your body necessarily too well um, after that, just because you're kind of, you know, afraid of, of you know, re-injuring it or pulling it or, or whatever. Um, so just to see see him fully healthy and seeing him with some continuity and some, you know, actual NBA level basketball players um, on the floor with him together, <laughs> I think I think we're starting to see some returns of that. But um, but yeah, like like Josh um, Josh is a restricted free agent after next season, which means that he's eligible for his, his rookie extension uh, this summer. Um, and you know, I, I I think I tweeted something about this during the game last night, but. Um, you know, I, I think the Timberwolves would be idiotic to not, you know, try and sign Josh to a four-year extension. Um, what does that, what does that look like? Do you think like, what does that extension look like money-wise? You know, I I think it would be much smarter for them to, to try and re-sign him, you know, immediately after this season, because, um, you know, I I think his value is really going to skyrocket next season because I think we're going to see, you know, this level of confident Josh. Like, again, I don't think he's going to shoot this well, but, you know, I I don't think he's just going to be this huge glaring minus or offensively. He rides, I think he rides in the, like, he he uses other people's kind of breeze to to drift through the game. If if he is on a good team, he's a very, very handy piece. Exactly. And And if he's on a bad team... His his warts are just so much more obvious. Yeah, and that's exactly why right now when the team is good, good's probably an overstatement, but a competitive team with two players who can really uh, carry an offense and three, if you include Anthony Edwards, he you can you can see his value there. But then when you put him on a team with just D'Angelo Russell, who has to you know run fifty isolations a night or hand it off to Josh at the top of the key, you know he his value starts to break down a little bit, but on a good team, like you look at, Bruce, I, I always compare him to Bruce Brown in Brooklyn because I just think they're very similar players. Bruce Brown might have a little bit better handle, which does help him create a little bit more as a driver. But like, like Bruce Brown's going to get paid whenever he's up for for a contract extension, and he's going to be in the league for a long time because he's proven that alongside Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, he's the perfect kind of like fifth guy on as a starter who just doesn't need a score defends like hell, can play bigger than he is, can play smaller than he is. Like that's Josh Atogi. If you you know, if you didn't know I was talking about Bruce Brown, you'd think I was talking about Josh. Yeah, and I think, you know, you asked what does an extension look like? Like I think Josh would probably be in that six to eight million dollars a year range. Um, 
you know, if they get to him, you know, this summer, obviously, you know, maybe they could get in on the ground floor for less than that. But I mean, I think Josh is the type of guy where every team in the NBA would, would want to try and pick him up. And if, you know, they, if the Timberwolves let him get to restricted free agency in 2022, you know, I think a lot of other teams would set that market much higher than what it would be this summer to pay him. Um, I think you could probably give him the Wanchard deal. I think the Wanchard deal would be a good one, especially with a team option as a third year. I, at three yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd really like to try and get him for a fourth year just because, um, you know, he's just so impactful defensively. And if, and if his shooting even comes around, you know, half as much as it has, you know, over the last 15 games consistently, you know, the Timberwolves, that, that's going to end up being a huge bargain contract. And we're going to be talking about how, you know, Josh Okoge is helping the Timberwolves win playoff games because he's getting open shots because, you know, teams are having to guard Cat and Anthony Edwards and D'Lo and McDaniels. Like, I, I mean, I, I personally would rather have Josh Okoge start over Malik Beasley. Um, you know, I, I don't think Malik Beasley should be on the Timberwolves next year. Um, but, but man, like if they tried out a starting five of, of D'Lo, Ant, Okoge, McDaniels, and Cat for a full season, um, and, and they're pretty healthy, like you can get that lineup to play 80 to 85% of your games. Um, you know, I think the Timberwolves have a, have a damn good shot at, at being like a six or a seven seed next season, just because we've already seen what the offense is capable of looking like. And then you think about, okay, what does Ant look like after he has a summer of every all-star in the NBA saying, I want to come help you to, you know, cat having another year to just get healthy and work on, you know, more dynamic shooting parts of his game to, you know, D'Lo working on, you know, driving, more driving and getting to the rim. And, you know, same thing with Jaden McDaniels, just like improving his overall, you know, shot package. Like he can make a lot of different shots off the bounce, um, just, you know, continuing to solidify his jump shooting form. Like all those guys take, you know, a step forward. I I think the Timberwolves, um, you know, have a a damn good shot at making the playoffs next year. And and, and you need guys like Josh Okogie on your team now and for the long term if you want to try and, you know, sustain that success and be able to slow other teams down on a, on a very offensively focused team. Right. And one guy I think who who fits that mold and obviously was, I guess, the, the star of the show in, in many ways last night was Jared Vanderbilt, who was a guy who's been kind of kind of in the same position as Josh Terry, who's been in and out of the rotation a lot this season. He's had very good moments and, and very bad moments. And last night, you know, Chris Finch stated publicly that he he showed that he deserves to be in the rotation. Now he had, um, sorry, I'm just getting this up. He had he had 11 points. He had nine points, 14 rebounds, two steals in 21 minutes. He was clearly just a bundle of energy on the court last night that that Miami couldn't contain, and in many ways, kind of replaced Josh in that game when when Finch thought that, that Jimmy Butler was maybe a little bit too much size to handle for Josh, and and Jimmy's a big dude, man. Like, I think we forget that Jimmy's a legitimate 6'8". Like, it is not easy for even great wing defenders like Josh Okoge to, to guard he's, someone who's that kind of size. He's really physical. 
Really, yeah, really and like just throws his weight around as much as anyone in the league, but in like a very Anthony, controlled manner that's really yeah, difficult yeah. to guard. Yeah, Anthony Edwards would do well to watch a lot of Jimmy Butler tape, I think, because that's how you kind of get the most out of a a big frame without being out of control, like you said. But Jerry Vanderbilt did a really good job on him, especially in the clutch. And what what do you think? Because I agree with you that I think that 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 kind of core five of of Cat, D'Lo, Ant, McDaniels, and Okogi are, uh, right now should be the starters, obviously pending uh, draft lottery night. But what what is what happens with Jared Vanderbilt? He's a restricted free agent as well at the end of the season. Do you think that he... What, what, do you think he comes back on the minimum? Do you think other teams are chasing him? Does he even deserve to be a mainstay in this rotation? And Or is last night kind of just a an outlier compared to what we've seen, I guess, off and on for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't necessarily think that last night is what he's going to bring every night because I think that he's really, really struggled offensively. Uh, I think that he's kind of looked like a chicken with his head cut off at times. Um, You know, just kind of has a lot of energy and doesn't necessarily know how to harness it or where to be on the floor. Um, And I think, you know, last night we we saw a guy that looked really, really comfortable playing within the confines of – uh, of the you know Timberwolves offense where he was setting screens above the break um diving hard to the rim you know cutting across the lane you know getting offensive rebounds um all the type of things and handling it a little bit in the open floor like I, I think Jared Vanderbilt has too many skills where the Timberwolves aren't going to um you know aren't going to bring him back uh I, I I really and they don't have enough money to be letting guys go who they could probably sign for the minimum. Exactly, like I think that you know, and I texted I texted Dane this last night, and, and he you know would kind of send to me like I have no idea um, what an a, what a Vanderbilt extension would look like because you know I, I texted Dane I was like you know do you think he could be a goop to special candidate you know a four year contract pretty much to the minimum or maybe, you know, just slightly above the minimum. Maybe it's like 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, 6 million or something like that. Um, You know, and and it's going to be really interesting because I think it's going to be a situation where the Timberwolves are probably going to let, you know, other teams in the NBA set that market. Um, But, you know, I I think that you've got to trust that, like if Jared Vanderbilt could shoot, you know, 70% from the free throw line, 75% from the free throw line, um, you know, and just kind of continue to, you know, be able to catch the ball. <laughs> like, it's crazy that Jared Vanderbilt's <laughs> just got to be able to catch the ball. Um, That's literally the problem, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, last, night, last night he caught the ball. Exactly. And lo and yeah. behold, he was really good. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, if he can catch the ball, I mean, his handle is pretty good. Like, for a guy his size, and he obviously moves really well laterally. Um, you know, is just a really fast player. He's a great athlete. Um and he hasn't been injured. Like he had a lot of injury problems when he was at Kentucky, um, even when he was in high school, um, and again when he was in Denver. And we haven't seen that at all um, from him in Minnesota, which is great to see. Um, and so, you know, I, I just hope that you know the Timberwolves are able to, you know, at least be able to get him to a point where he can shoot free throws consistently, get to a line. Um, put the ball in the basket when he does cut. You know, I, I just think there's too much talent there uh, and just raw athleticism that they can harness to to not bring him back. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, and I wouldn't be opposed either to like, 
you know, trying to just come go find somebody that can work with Jared Vanderbilt on just refining his shooting form and finishing inside. You know what I mean? Because if like he can, if he can just finish layups that we've seen him miss so much this year, uh, and just catch the ball and make one strong move. I mean, he's just. I don't want to say he's like Zion because obviously Zion is unlike anybody that we've ever seen in the NBA in the history of the league before. But he's like a fridge that can a fridge that can jump forty inches off the ground. <laughs> yeah, but I, but in the sense that if he makes one really quick decisive move, guys that are guarding him aren't going to be able to stay with him. You know what I mean? Where you- he's not far. He like there's a there's a facsimile. I guess you know a very. Uh, maybe unrealistic one to Bam last night. Like you kind of see the way Bam moves as a big man. Like I think there was that one play that Bam ripped through from the from like the left block, like the kind of high block, and he ripped through on Cat, and it was just like scintillatingly fast. And that's kind of what. And obviously Bam is a great player and a better defender and a just a better touch guy around the rim but that's the kind of thing that you want Vanderbilt to be able to do in an enhanced version of him you want to be able to just occasionally throw it down to him in the block and let him use that pace and that movement skills that he has that are, that are just so much more more developed than most big men like he can blow by he can blow by big guys and he's and he's a legitimate six nine. he's not big enough but he does play big and, and that really helps him especially when he's a power forward next to another big guy yeah, and, and you know, I, I it's tough because I, I really wish that there were more minutes for Vanderbilt to play, um, and, and I think it would be really interesting to see what Vanderbilt could do consistently, like if he played next to Nas for like a full season, or what, or depending on like what they're going to do during training camp next year. Like, I think it's going to be interesting um, to see kind of what they envision for him. But like, I, I mean. I'd try and get rid of Wancho because, I mean, he just sucks. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like with Vanderbilt, uh, you know, he's just a really low-usage guy that can just, um, you know, that can really impact a game, which is what you want to see. And, and like Jared Vanderbilt this year, he's shooting, he's shooting um, you know, 68% at the rim. He's 92 of 136 from the rim, which is good for the 57th percentile in the NBA. And he misses a shitload of just easy layups. <laughs> and so if he can just yeah. work on making more of those layups, I mean, you could see a guy that's a pretty dominant interior finisher going against other bench guys who, you know, you can rotate in then pretty seamlessly with like a Kogi if you need, you know, like last night, a bigger a bigger guy to be in there. But, I mean, the Timberwolves become fun to think about when you can think about, um, you know, what – Jesus Christ – uh, the Timberwolves are fun to think about when you start to imagine kind of who their core is moving forward and what those guys are going to be able to do next to each other, next to one another. So you can have, you know, I'm just going to, I'm operating on the assumption that the Timberwolves are not, will not have their pick because it's more likely than not that they won't. Um, right. You know, having D'Lo, Ant, Akogi, Vanderbilt, Towns as your starters, and then having three surefire bench guys in Noel, Vanderbilt and and Nas and then you only really have to pick up two spots so Rubio is going to be gone if Beasley's in then you can have Jalen Noel running the point with the one or with the twos excuse me and then if you can get like you know a, a bench guy that can 
you know, shoot the ball from three a little bit or just be really solid defensively. Like if you could try and get your hands on somebody like Josh Hart or, um, you know, like Garrett Temple, uh, that type of player, if you will, to kind of stopgap the three and kind of make up a little bit for, for Malik Beasley if, if he is there. Um, that's, a, that's a really solid team. And I think you can roll 10 deep pretty consistently with, with those guys. Like, I don't think anybody there is a, is a major glaring liability. Yeah, uh, and I think that that's the... Obviously, we know Rosas is going to be aggressive in pursuing trades, especially after he didn't do much of the trade deadline. But I do think that that is kind of the situation that we should be expecting, is that this team just doesn't have money to go out and sign someone. They're barely going to have any of the mid-level exception, you know... They, maybe if, if they dump Rubio, but it's it, it it's going to be internal growth that that sparks a change in this team if this if that change is ever to be sparked in terms of wins and losses, and these guys Vanderbilt Noel like you said Nas Reed like cheap contract when you have D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns making fifty percent of your cap. You've got Malik Beasley, who we're not sure if he'll be here or not, but assuming he is, he's making $16 million himself. You've got Anthony Edwards, who's, you know, every second is coming closer to the extension in, in three, four years that he he's going to sign. And at this rate, it's probably going to be a max extension. Like, you need to find guys on the margins. And for all the issues that people have had with Rosas and that we've had with, you know, from Culver to... To Wancho, the one thing he's done is he's fine. He's found success on the margins, and if he can do it again with Vanderbilt, if you get him on on a dupe special, it really doesn't matter if he if there's parts of the season where he can't break into the rotation. That's that's the problem with Wancho is that the fact that he doesn't seem like a rotation player ninety percent of the time is that he's getting paid like a genuine rotation player, maybe even a fifth starter. But if you get a guy who's making three million a year, who's getting you know small but steady increases every season, it doesn't matter if they're in the rotation or not. It doesn't matter if Jalen Noel misses a few games. It doesn't matter if if Jared Vanderbilt can't can't get on the court in certain matchups because it's not hindering your ability to to use other guys in that same situation. And like you said, I, I just think that signing they're probably going to sign one, maybe two guys, and they're going to be cheap dudes, and they need to be guys who impact the game in the same way I think that Vanderbilt does, the same way that Kogi does, the same way that Noel does, Nas Reed, like that and especially defensively, because that's always going to be the issue with this team. Yeah, I mean and, and I'm just looking here at some potential free agents that, that they could throw out um, and, you know, potentially reach out to. Um, you know, you have a guy like Alec Burks who's been really, really good for the Knicks this year, who'd probably be a f- Alec Alec Burks is a bucket man. Every time I watch the Knicks, he has 25. And he can defend, too. Like, he's probably going to be a full mid-level guy, I would think. And I wouldn't surprise me if New York, you know, really wanted him back. But, you know, Ortrend... Tibbs seems, Tibbs seems to really like him. Yeah. Tibbs loves a, a guard off the bench who can just get buckets. Yeah, I mean, same thing with Reggie Bullock there. Um, I, I would imagine that he's back. But uh, Avery Bradley is another guy that, you know, you could bring in just as, a, as another defender that can also shoot. Um, and then Mo Harkless is another name, obviously, uh, that I think would be, you know, a major value, um, signing, especially if you brought him to, to play more of a bench role, 
you know, and, and don't really require him like, to shoot a whole or don't really require him to score a whole lot. Um, I feel like Mo Harkless every year is a free agent, and we we speak about him every season. Yeah, <laughs> we know, he's going to be one of those guys who eventually gets to Minnesota, but he'll be like thirty four when he gets here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then and then after that, I mean, some stuff starts to drop off. Like Solomon Hill is one who who's he's been very very good for Atlanta this year, and then and then like I'd said, yep. Josh Hart, uh, maybe Tyler Johnson. Those are those are. I mean, Tyler Johnson is more of an offensive guy, but then. I mean, then then stuff really starts to drop off uh, after that in in terms of guys that could actually be, you know, somewhat impactful. Um, you know, Hamadou Diallo is a restricted free agent. Um, He'll probably get paid, like not paid, paid, but right. paid more than the Wolves can can afford to give him. Yeah, and then and then um, Gorgie Jang is a free agent. My boy. <laughs> Keep, keep my name out your mouth, <laughs> Doggy Jang. Um, yeah, and then you just have other guys like Ben McLemore. Uh, I'm a big Ben McLemore fan. I don't so know I, how well he fits on this. I do think he's a this team needs shooting still. Yeah, we always discuss that. But you know, in terms of bench guys to kind of supplement the defense, he's definitely not supplementing any defenses. But he can shoot the piss out of it. Yeah, or like Juan Toscano Anderson, Golden State. Other guys yeah. be a free agent that would be interesting I, this year. I but. do think that this player might come. I, I agree with you. I think they're definitely not married to Malik Beasley, and I think that in terms of you know we like I said, Rosas is going to be aggressive in trades, and I think the one guy who kind of sticks out like a sore thumb as a guy who probably will get traded is Malik Beasley because. They're not going to trade Cat. They're not going to trade D'Lo. They're committed to those two. And obviously not. Jaden McDaniels, if they were going to move him, Aaron Gordon would be on this team right now. Or John Collins. Um, Malik Beasley seems like the guy, especially with this team actually playing the best basketball it's played all season without him. He's uh, also one of the know, worst he, defensive players in the NBA. And he's... And he's a shooting slump away from being unplayable. That's the kind of player he is. And we saw, we've seen that with Juancho Hernan Gomez. Like, if these guys forget how to shoot the ball or, you know, go 15, 20 games without shooting it well, they really start to decline in value very fast. Right. I, I mean, he's just such a, a perfect, like, sell-high guy. Like, you traded very little to get him. Get him. You know, he's obviously... Whatever you whatever you make back off him is going to be plus value for what you gave up originally. And, he, I mean, and if you bring back that 3 and D bench guy and, you know, another piece, uh, future pick, maybe, like, whatever it is, if you can bring back a guy who can give you 15 minutes a night and, and help you play defense and help kind of fit in around the stars without taking their share of the sugar, it makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think too that you know Malik's also got a lot of issues off the floor and um his parole is incredibly strict and if if he messes up, I mean, you're not even talking about him you know not being able to be traded. You're talking about him not even then being able to play for the Timberwolves at all. And then you're just completely shit out of luck. Um you know, and, and, and I hope for Malik's sake that like he can he can really stand a straight and narrow, but um you know There's never there's no guarantees yeah. for that. There never has been for anyone that, that has these kind of off court problems. Yeah, exactly. And like I'd be really interested to see too if like the Timberwolves Timberwolves could trade like 
Malik and a f- Jarrett Culver. Malik, Jarrett Culver and a future first for like OG Ananobi or something. That would be one that would be I don't like I don't know that Toronto would be willing to do that, but like if if you could do that or something like with a, maybe a little bit more sugar um, coming in from from another team or something like that, just just that type of player is like a, a contract that that would work. Um, but yeah, I, I would mean, faint if that happened. After <laughs> <laughs> um, after a Toronto after a Toronto trade, I know we're just kind of you know going off on a tangent here, which is what we do best. But I've got. A Toronto Raptors trade that's been bouncing around my head all week. I want to I want to throw this out there. It's completely kind of off topic, but if Minnesota got the third pick in the draft, so obviously, I, I you know we, I don't know how GMs are thinking, but I would assume that Cade and Mobley are gone. Jalen Suggs is probably going to be the third pick. He might jump to two after just a nutty March Madness session from him, but if if they got three. Would you consider trading Malik Beasley, Ricky Rubio, and the third pick for Pascal Siakam? And assuming they are leaning into that rebuild quite heavily and they obviously have their pick themselves, which could be one or it could be 15. You know, we don't know right now with them. I wouldn't, no. Um, it, is that is that because of the pick? Yes. That's because yeah. I think... And I, know, I, that, and I know you're a Jalen Suggs guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Jalen Suggs guy, but also financially, like... I think it just makes more sense to have the flexibility of being able to trade Malik for or Ricky, like use those contracts to try and. But guys who are going to be off the books in less than four or five years, like like Siakam. That, but also I think it allows you then to capitalize more on, you know, the Timberwolves having some good players on rookie scale contracts, um, because it, and then if you can trade Malik, if you can divide Malik in two, into like two, you know somewhat good role players that are making, you know, eight, nine million ish a year and also trade offload Jarrett Culver in doing that. Um, you know, I'd much rather do that just because I then think like, again, like everybody talks about this cat insurance, like you, then you have Anthony Edwards and Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley, um, that you could build around. If, if it's Evan Mobley, you know, uh, um, I'm out on the deal immediately. I'm 50 oh, well, on the deal just, if it I mean, I was, just, I'm not... I was just saying, like, you know, depending on who goes to. Was more yeah, more. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just think it's an interesting conversation. I think that's something, if if Toronto offered that to Minnesota, I don't know, I think Gerson would have a tough time saying no, I, just with his star hunting mentality. I, I agree with that. And then the one other thing that I'll add too is like, if the Timberwolves do keep their pick, you can butt your ass that they're going to be shopping that thing like there's no tomorrow. Um, I will cry if they trade Kate Cunningham. I can't deal with that. And I know that it's not, like, it's not the stupidest move in the world, but because they need help right now. And, you know, we never know. As much as I think Kate Cunningham could be generationally good, it's just, it's not guaranteed at all. Yeah, and I'm not saying but, they do it. Man, I'm just saying that you... Oh, they definitely will shop it around. It's That's that's their, their MO. They shop everything around. Like, outside of Cat... I'm sure they've even shopped D'Lo around, and they've and they're pretty damn committed what you, what to him. What do you think like, the best they could get for the number one pick this year would be, roughly? Oh, uh, very very roughly. Doesn't have to be like a bit like Jalen Brown, someone in that tier of player. 
I think that I think GMs know that Cade Cunningham or Mobley or you know choose your fighter in that situation. I think they know Cade, they're going to be very good players. This draft is highly regarded, and I don't think Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown maybe it's just me talking isn't as highly regarded as maybe his play suggests because Boston fans. Jalen Brown is one of them dudes that is is respected more outside of his team than inside of the team's fan base. Like Boston fans love Jalen Brown because he's a very good player, but they also see his flaws every night, and he definitely does have flaws. I think like that that tier three star, Zach Levine, and especially now that you know Zach Levine might have bumped himself up a tier this year, but especially now that the news has come out that he is expected to become an, an unrestricted free agent in twenty twenty two. That type of player. Do you agree? Do you think I'm I'm going too much? No, I, I think that that'd be interesting. I also think it's funny timing on the Zach Levine thing. Um, Bring him home. Yeah, I mean, shit. Why not? Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm just looking at like guys that are on max contracts right now of like that type of impact player that you could bring in like. I don't know. Siakam I mean, is another one. I think Siakam makes a lot of sense. I think Siakam is a very, a, a guy who, you know, we probably, for the league, league-wide, should keep an eye on being traded because they will lean into this rebuild eventually. And if they can get, if they could get pick three and pick five, like, you know, including their own pick for Siakam and then a guy like Malik Beasley and a, and a veteran like Ricky Rubio, I think they would take that deal. And I think that's like, I think Siakam is going to be a guy who gets traded in the near future, along with Kyle Lowry. Do you think they would go for Malik Beasley, Jarrett Culver, and, I don't know, pennies somewhere for Gary Trent Jr.? Oh, I, I think they, I think it wouldn't be a bad move, but I think Gary Trent Jr. is one of the guys who's kind of Josh Atoyed himself into that fan base. Like, I think... Sometimes you gotta read the room, and when you have a young player who's endeared himself to the fan base by buying into the culture, dropping forty point games, hitting game winners, it's it's tough. Like it's tough to sell hope to a team if you to your fan base, especially after the season that Toronto have had, which has just been horrible. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, just if, saying if you're gonna acquire really good players and then ship them out. Speaking of of bringing them home, <laughs> all right, Darry Trent Jr. is an awesome player. Is there, has there been more, again, tangent, has there been more of a deal this year that's been just like neutrally accepted by both sides than Trent for Norm Powell? Like, I feel like no I one is unhappy Portland in fan, that deal. I think Portland fans were like pretty pissed that they got rid of Gary Norm, Trent Jr. Norman Powell is a good player, man. And like, Norman is, Powell yeah. can give you 40 as well. Yeah, I mean, Norman Powell's been good for them. I think. I think part of the frustration there, though, is like, Norman Powell is like so similar to Dame and CJ in a way in terms of his strengths. Where like right. they need more interior defense. Like if they could have traded for like a stud, like John Collins would have been like a perfect guy for them to be able to trade for, just in terms of what he brings. Like I don't like you know, some guys move even if they're you know if you and I were just as good at his basketball and you were a better shooter and I was better defender or something like that. Like. It's possible that, you know, for some teams, you would move the needle way more for them and other teams, I would move the needle way more for them. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's one of those situations where, like, 
I just don't think Norm Powell moves the needle for them all that much, you know? Yeah. Like, I love no, I well, loved he, the trade just he, because, like, Portland, I watch, like, Portland the second most out of any team in the NBA. Um, and, and, like, I love Norm Powell, and I really wanted the Wolves to try and swing for him. But, like, you know, I, I just... The, what does he do different to Gary Trent except be older? Yeah, and if, like, he... I don't know that I would pay Norm Powell more money than Gary Trent Jr., because Gary Trent Jr. brings yeah. it on defense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh, um. All right. Pivoting back to to Tim Hall's talk. I know we had questions to get to. We're probably not going to get to to many of them because we are kind of on a time limit here because they're both pretty busy today. But let's just let's go with one that I think I guess is kind of relating back to what we've been speaking about. It's from um, Butter at Butterscotch. He says outside of the woods, the Wolves' core, which he names as Cat, Delo, Edwards, and McDaniel's, was wondering if you could discuss which of the other guys you feel make sense on next year's iteration of the Wolves. So we've touched on Joshua Cody. We've touched on Jared Vanderbilt. Um, Nas, obviously. Jalen Noel. Nas and Jalen Noel. Is that all? Those, what's that, eight guys? I think Lehman makes sense on next year's iteration of the Wolves because, um, you know, you need guys that are cheap at the end of your bench who can just come play spot minutes and provide a spark. Like, I, I see no, I mean, Jake's under contract for next year. Um, there's some games where he can shoot it really well. Um, and just like, he I, he's a competent player on both ends of the floor, in my opinion. Um, and I think with I think with Lehman is he's a guy who's a throw in for a trade if that trade comes about. Right. Like if you need a if you need an extra couple of million to to balance out contracts, he'll be an expiring deal. You know, if you need a, if you're trading Malik Beasley and the guy you want to bring back is worth twenty million dollars, um, then then Jake Lehman's the guy that you can throw in there and and get you know get solid return for it and not really feel like you're losing too much from on-call production. And I could also see the Timberwolves re-signing Jake Lehman after next season if he doesn't get traded. Um, yeah. Just because, like I said... I think, I think Jake's like... Sorry, I'll tell you off again. No. I, think Jake, I think Jake's a bit like Josh in the way that when the team is playing well, he is a really fun piece around that team. But when when he's overmatched, you know, usage-wise, or you, you give him too much to do, it all crumbles away. Yeah, it would not surprise me one bit if the Timberwolves did not want to trade Jake Lehman and they tried to re-sign him at the end of at the end of his current contract. Um, so yeah, I, I think my final answer would be, I mean, the four that you listed there or that he listed there, Akogi, Nas, Jalen Noel, Vanderbilt. Um, I mean, Malik makes sense on the team next year, um, but yeah, yeah. but I, I personally think that. It would be best. He's to also the, he's their best trade chip, like Feasible and they need to anyways. do something. Yeah, um, I I agree with you. Are we out on Are we out on J Mac, little J Mac? Um, I mean, as a third point guard, like, sure. I mean, bring him back. Why not? Just because he's been here and like 
you know, I think it's good to have a guy like that in your stable ready to go if someone gets hurt and he can step in admirably because he really knows the system. Um, and, and he's also a, a restricted free agent again this upcoming summer, um, you know, because it was one of those, <laughs> it, it's, it's a very unique and special contract that he's signed to um, in terms of kind of like that two-way restricted deal that he, he signed again. And, you know, he really bet on himself last summer and um, didn't really work out for him. And it doesn't always work. And, you know, I, I think J-Mac's a great guy. I think the Timberwolves really like having him around. Um, so I, I think J-Mac also, I, I would add J-Mac to that list. Uh, yeah, probably. he doesn't, I guess he doesn't really count as next year's iteration of the Wolves when your ideal role for him is not playing but being on the roster. Yeah, well, like. I mean, still, though, like, we've seen it a lot this year, and, and obviously the condensed season probably has something to do with it with injuries and whatnot. And, and next year, you know, we won't have to deal with people missing games because of COVID and, and stuff like that. So um, at least hopefully, I mean, everybody better get the vaccine <laughs> cat on the team. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, you, like, you know what I mean? I, I think, yeah. you know, you're better off having a competent third point guard that knows what's going on. Um, and again, even if J-Mac was an unrestricted free agent, or even if like the Timberwolves just let other teams set the market, even if you're paying J-Mac $3 million a year, kind of on a deal similar to what Lehman got, which is kind of like three for 11, something like that, um, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in doing that. Um, I'll weave another question into this, but at Marty Grimble, he said, how much do you think it would take to trade Culver for a Kongru next next season? The answer to me is a lot, and that's because Culver, I don't think, you know, makes sense on the next iteration of Minnesota. And a is really starting to show signs of life, and even if he hadn't, he, he, he was never given the chance to. He, Culver was given the chance, has been given the chance to prove himself. Chris Finch has been given Jared Culver prove yourself minutes from the minute he got here. Prove yourself in nine minutes in the first half and you can play again in the second half. And it has been very, very few times where Culver has done enough to play again, in the, you know, to get a second stint. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you have an, a different opinion, but I think to trade Culver for a Congaroo would take at least a first-round pick. I, that, I was going to say a first-round pick. Um, yeah. But also, like, um, you know, when you look at the Hawks, I mean, Capella's obviously their starting five. And Capella's under contract for two more seasons. And they seem to be pretty committed to Capella. Like, they were willing to bet John Collins' future over, you know, over Capella. Yeah, like... I, bet, bet Capella's future over John Collins. Yeah, so. and, like, I don't I don't think that a Kongwu is, like, off-limits by any means. But um, no. I, I, I also think that, like, we have to be realistic about it. Like, you have to, you have to pay to get off Jared Culver. Yeah, teams aren't climbing over each other to acquire Jared Culver. Like Jared Culver, you know, I've, you know, credit to us <laughs> a little bit on Culver because <laughs> I remember months ago, before, I think before it was before this season started or it was one of our earlier season podcasts, we talked about how it would probably be the best thing for Jared Culver to go to the G League. Yeah. And play a and whole year that, in the G League and see that what happens. would have been right. And now we're starting to think about like if Culver's going to be back next year he definitely isn't going to be playing minutes for the Timberwolves and it would make a lot more sense for him to be in Iowa um but I mean who the hell knows man 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Okongwu is a guy that I think would be interesting, but again, like having Okongwu makes no sense if you have Jared Vanderbilt on your team. Um, so I, you know, I, I was very high in Okongwu. I think I had him third or fourth on my board last year. Um, and it's been unfortunate that he's been injured for almost this whole year. So we haven't been able to see much of him, but, um, yeah, I, I just don't think that that, that one makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and I mean, especially considering Josh and JV are still only 22 years old. Like their careers are not set in stone, and they still got a lot of. Yeah, I don't think. To, I don't think. I don't think Jerson is uh, clamoring to acquire many more non-shooters, uh, especially when he can kind of pay the ones he has pretty little to stay here. I think. Uh, moving on, at Ball Eyes North, which is you know a friend of the show, Jerry, really good guy, really good website. Check out Ball Eyes North if you haven't. Um, I guess we kind of answered this this throughout the the podcast. He said, "Let's say that the Minnesota lose the pick. How would you guys restructure the team in the off season? Example: Would you look for another big man to start, or would you keep on a similar path?" Uh, I do think we can't. Yeah, we kind of touched on that throughout the whole podcast. Is that we think they really don't have many other options but to stay on a similar path and try and kind of you know get some some stragglers on the on the way on that path and, and add them to their band of of men and you know the Mo Harkless types that we spoke about the the defensive minded kind of guys I think as we've we've touched on throughout this pod it's the only really thing they can do I think is trade Malik Beasley like outside of that I just don't see many other paths you know in the non-draft division to to change the team I don't I think there's paths to get better and the path to get better is internal improvement and I believe that can come, but I don't think externally there's there's many paths to kind of shake things up. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like I, I, and again, like I think Toronto would be an interesting one. Like I, I think the Timberwolves should add a third center because I think it's worth trying to see more of the Cat Nas minutes. Like they've been very fruitful so far this year. Um, and I'd wonder how married Toronto is to Malachi Flynn. Um, you know, if you could try and get like Boucher and Flynn for Beasley and like Beasley, you know, Wancho in a future first or, you know, a second round pick, um, you know, something like Toronto that. Toronto is a team to watch, man, because yeah. they, they feel like they're on the verge of just tearing that whole thing down. Especially if they keep... It depends, I guess, where they finish at the end of the season. Like, if they make the play-in or the playoffs, maybe that changes a little bit. But if they if they get a top-10 pick, like, all bets are off, I think, for, you know, what they're going to do next offseason. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Like, and that's just, like, throwing shit out because I think my, my kind of team needs for the Timberwolves are backup point guard, third center, um, wing shooting, and and the last one I'd throw out there would probably be wing defense. Um, yeah, and rebounding as well. But I guess if you if you're committing more to two bigs, the rebounding that's kind of what my, the re- what my and I think Jaden McDaniel's has has improved tremendously as a rebounder. Um, I, that that's one yeah. thing that that I don't necessarily want to get. Um, you know, kind of lost in the shuffle, if you will. Like, I, even if his numbers aren't there, if you're watching the games, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's still, 
you know, very evident that he's coming up with some tough, tough contested rebounds. Like he, he's only in the 30th percentile um, among forwards in terms of his defensive rebounding percentage, which is the total percentage of, of defensive rebounds he gets when he's on the floor. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of been up and down. Um, but it's, it's definitely been on the up and up, um, over the course of the last few weeks. And, um, he was a really good rebounder at Washington, man. Like I was always impressed with how he put a body on someone at Washington and really, like he, he's not a guy to give up on a rebound. He always, I think his first thought is, which is probably a credit to his early life coaching is that his first thought is always put a body on someone, even if it's put a body on someone, so someone else can come get a rebound. And that doesn't work as much in the NBA because you know he weighs as much as me, but it, it's it's going it's going to pay off as he gets bigger and just the the mentality just like he helps Cat get re, get rebounds. I think that's what I like about McDaniel's is if he might get five rebounds for the game, but Cat probably gets an extra two or three because Jaden McDaniel's put a body on someone, and you know that that is something that the coaching staff will definitely notice. Yeah, and I mean if you're trotting out a lineup of of D'Lo, Ant, Akogi, McDaniel's Towns, like, Ant. There's rebounding there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just, I'm just circling back to this because we spoke about it before, and I was just looking it up as we were speaking. Towns and Reed have played 98 minutes together, and they have a one ten point eight offensive rating and a one oh two point three defensive rating, plus eight point five for the season, which is like ninety. Eight minutes is not a big sample size, but it's not a small sample size. That's probably either. what that's ten games like, worth of playing eight, yeah, eight or nine minutes together, something like that. And that's been lately. More, a lot of that has come in the last, you know, seven, eight, nine games. Like, there's, I think, there's, and Finch has spoken about it multiple times in public that he really likes that pairing. Like, I, I do think that we see more of that. And Nas is like. Nas inconsistent, but he's also at times too good to be playing 14 minutes behind Cat. Yeah, there's got to be, yeah. I mean, especially when he's rolling, like you've got to get creative with what you can do. And um, last night, last night it was awesome against Miami. Yeah, that, I mean, that a lot turn. of a lot of players that Nas goes up against are either too small or too slow. And you know, Nas with his, you know, again, he's another guy who's going to be really interesting to see what he looks like next season. You know, having a full another full year to be or full off season to be, you know, in the gym in Minnesota uh, working on his game um, because the jumps, especially with Nas, we've seen athletically from draft day to or signing day, I guess, for him to you know summer league to the start of the year to the end of the year, and then from the start of this year to now have been, you know, un- unreal. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I like. Almost unprecedented. The the leap he has taken athletically is bonkers, man. Bonkers. That putback dunk uh, the other day against was it Brooklyn or Milwaukee? Like, yeah. when he just got dropped out of the ceiling. <laughs> like, what the hell, man? Like, who? What is he eating for breakfast? Because I need some of that. Yeah, and, and you know. Yeah, it's it's incredible, and I think it's really shown up on the defensive end of the floor too. Like, I just looked at you know what Nas has been like with Vando so far this year, and like they've played 482 possessions together, um, and and they've their defensive rating is 106, which is 94th percentile that that two man pairing. 
I mean, their offensive rating is 94.2, which is in the zeroth percentile, which would be worse than the worst <laughs> offense in the NBA this year. But I mean, you know, a lot of that is that's a what, lot of that, that is, but that's why Nas is a lot of that is. Be- Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say a lot of that is because the you know the top two lineups that they've have have been like with Ricky Rubio and a Kogi. Yeah. So well, that's why not, that's why Nas is so good in lineups with Cap because not the one problem I have with Nas is that when he plays on these bench units that are just like depleted with offensive talent, Nas just goes into like I am Hakeem. <laughs> kind of like and he's spinning on dudes and he's shooting threes and he's shooting wild hook shots and he makes more than he misses to be fair yeah no when dude, he, it's when nas has a 50 percent usage rate it's like, fun it's not, gonna end. it's not it's not gonna end well on the scoreboard though like when he can play next to the cat when he can play next to the cat he just gets like the tricklings of the offensive possessions when he where you know the the broken action play the second side pick and rolls with anthony edwards like that's when he becomes a monster, man. Like when he when his usage rate is fifteen percent, and he can just do all of that in a in a low roll and space the floor around Cat, and then uh, he's a good defender. I never I I never have I never watched the Wolves and kind of come out of it with grievances around around Nas Reed's defense. Like it's not great, obviously, and it's not perfect, but. It's not something that I just, like, you know, every game I have similar complaints. Ricky Rubio can't get to the rim. You know, like, Anthony Edwards has just fallen asleep for the 14th time on defense. Like, Nas Reed isn't one of them, especially not defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it'd, it'd be really interesting to see what Nas would look like as a sixth man. Um, yeah. You know, next season, if, like, your starting five is kind of the five we've discussed, and then he comes and gets McDaniels first, um, so yeah. that that way mcdaniels could play the three then let's say you have nine players or something like that so you have like i don't know you have d'lo and josh uh jaden cat and then you have jalen um can throw malik in there you know jv and and nas like then being able to throw out a lineup of like you know have nas play with cat and then cat leaves Nas moves up to the five, Vanderbilt comes in, then Jaden comes back in, and your bench five then could kind of look something like, you know, insert backup point guard, Noel, Beasley, you know, Jaden, Jared, and Nas. Like, I think that would be, like, an an interesting way to go about, you know, being able to utilize those two, you know, kind of, and then bridge the one, like, bridge them both when they go out. So before, you know, cat comes out, you played Nas with cat. And then before Nas comes out for cat, cat comes back in, you know, four or five minutes stint or three, four minutes stint. And then it's just cat at the five. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd like to see Anthony Edwards as the insert point guard in those situations. If you, if you get him out early and then you bring him back in to kind of handle the ball, especially if you can, if you run those first six, seven minutes where he is in that kind of D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns um, matrix where he, he doesn't touch the ball as much as he probably likes, you get him out early, bring him back with that second unit, and then you have, you know, Ant, Jalen, uh, Malik, I'd just say Ant, Jalen, or even if Malik's gone in that situation, like Ant, Jalen, yeah, McDaniels, so JV, Nas. So you'd have a nine-man yeah, rotation a nine- of... 
D'Lo, Ant, J.O., Jaden, Cat, Jalen, uh, Malik, uh, Nas, and Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, and then you just and that that allows you to stagger the minutes of those high usage guys, and it allows you to get you know Nas in there with Cat. It allows you to get JB in there with with Cat as well. Like it allows you to play Jaden McDaniels at the three and the four. Um, that that appeals to me, and that does. I do think that they need they need other things. Like I, I we I think we we still fall into this trap of kind of thinking that this team can just run it back and be way better. And I think they can run it back and be better, but there's no denying that they still need to find yeah, some and sort I mean, of Yeah, I mean, running it back and being better, I mean, is also just like being healthier. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and like, we yeah. still that, don't know what this team is like when they're fully healthy, but also like we haven't had an NBA head coach for two years. So yeah. now having a guy who's like, not just a head coach, but looks like a legitimately very good one um yeah it is he, big like it's crazy Chris how Finch much keeps it out easier, coaching dudes man it's crazy how much easier he makes the game for so many people like josh's t- like Finch. cat d'lo ant you know Jaden, jo jv nas like all these guys have taken steps forward <laughs> under has there been anyone has there been anyone who has got worse on the finch uh maybe Jarrett culver question mark yeah, but, I, I guess. Don't know. But like, like I'm, was that just inevitable anyway? Yeah, just like putting guys in positions to succeed is the best thing a coach can do at any level, whether you're a fourth grader or you're a high schooler, a college player, a pro. And Finch does that. And you know, I'm I'm just excited that you know some of these guys that a lot of Timberwolves fans had written off, such as Vanderbilt or Kogi. Um, now have a legit chance at, at being not just like passable, but actually good players because you have a coach that can look at like, okay, what does this guy do really well? You know, what kind, what, what can we do to really advance his game? Uh, you know, both in the off season, but also like better utilize him on the floor next season, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think yeah, that's I think- promising that when you look at, when you look up and down at the Timberwolves roster um, and just like, the timeline of everything kind of makes sense. Like you still don't have a ton of veterans, which I think you need to address and you'll need to bring in some veterans, you know, kind of on the back end of the rotation, um, just as adults in the room, you know, but like, if you just look at, at the age of all these guys, like Ant is 19, Jaden is 20, Vanderbilt's 20, you know, Vanderbilt's 22, Josh is 22, Cat's 24. D'Lo's 24. Like, Jalen Noel is 21. So, like, all of those guys, like, you can't just think that, like, who they are now is what they're going to be. Like, these guys are going to get better. And and to think that these guys are already showing, you know, signs of life and chemistry with Finch right now through a midseason coaching change where Finch hasn't even, even been able to implement everything he wants to implement. To then getting a full summer with everybody being in Minneapolis, I mean, for the most part, and then having a full training camp, also having some guys hopefully added in that make more sense on the roster. Um, hopefully, Malik Beasley's gone, and you know you can balance out the roster a little bit. But um, that's exciting, man. Yeah, and it, and I think yeah. you know one of these questions looks like 
Oh, never mind. I was looking. Derek, yeah, kind of going back to Gerald's question, like looking at how the Timberwolves would like look next season. Like even if the Timberwolves bring majority of the guys back that they have now, like I still think the Timberwolves will be a lot better. Yeah. I, I, there's well, reason look, to believe there's a path for the Timberwolves with like seven guys or yeah, eight guys playing most of the minutes like uh, D'Lo, Ant, Josh, Jaden, Cat, Jalen, uh, Vanderbilt, and Nas playing like a decent chunk of the minutes. Like there's a path to that team winning more games than lose next year. Yeah. I don't. I, it may not be uh, a likely path necessarily, but if the Timberwolves went, but it's not. The, it's not completely impossible like it was at the start of this season. If the Timberwolves went forty-five and thirty-seven next year, or like forty-seven and thirty-five next year, I would not be surprised. Yeah, it's. I, I don't it's think something. I, I think the I don't think they will next year. But yeah, I, I think you know, as the resident pessimist on the podcast, I think. They're a play-in team. I just my worry is always just the West. It's not the team; it's the West. It's having to play Memphis four times a year. It's having to play you know Golden State with Clay back four times a year. It's just like it's just so brutal, man. That you three, yeah, three times a year. Like it's 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 just brutal, man. But also, like, <laughs> it's no way other way to put it. Yeah, but also, like, I mean, at least the Timberwolves now get to play Oklahoma City four times a year. And that's, yeah. you know, they're a much worse team and having to play Utah four times. I mean, the Timberwolves are still in a, in a tough division, but like there's no reason the Timberwolves can't hang with Portland in, in the games that they play or hang with Memphis. Like that's... I know Memphis kind of has our number, but at the same time, like the, the Timberwolves have played much different basketball this year. And now being like fully healthy, the Timberwolves have a hell of a lot more talent than Memphis does. Like yeah. I'm... And... They overachieved Memphis last year. They're they're probably even, about even, where they even are. Even with Jaron Jackson Jr. Like yeah. I, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is kinda overrated. Like I don't think his shooting numbers are gonna keep up. It looks like he hurls the medicine ball when he shoots. Like I don't know. I, I'm I also couldn't be less scared of Dallas. Um you know, I, I, I really think the only teams that are like set in stone that are gonna be like solid playoff teams next year are the two LA teams the Suns, the Jazz, and the Nuggets. That's, what, six teams? There's no reason why the Timberwolves... And then the Warriors, obviously. Um, But even then, like, there's not even a guarantee that Clay... Like, Clay's always going to be a good shooter, but, like, like two massive injuries, you know, they take a toll on the dude, man. And Jamal Murray's going to miss most of next season, too. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's it's as open as it has been for a while, that's for sure. Yeah, but again, like I think the Timberwolves in terms of talent, like we have no idea how good Anthony Edwards is gonna like be next season compared to this season. Um If Ant takes a, a sizable leap, then I completely agree with you that this team is a playoff team, you know, almost certainly. If Anthony Edwards is like twenty five percent better than he is this season especially in the key areas that he needs to be 25% better. If he's, you know, more alert defensively, uh, better handle to get himself to the rim and more attack. Because I don't think the, I don't think his mindset... I think his mindset gets a little bit overrated where it's like he doesn't want to get to the rim. I think it's at times his handle just isn't good enough to shape guys. It's not Andrew Wiggins' level of bad, 
but it's you know it needs to be improved and that's something that I think will be improved if he if he is 25% better as a handler and as a defender Minnesota make the playoffs pretty comfortably I think yeah I mean I, I mean I think I still think he's shown some promise as you know a ball handler um yeah oh yeah he definitely has I don't want to make that out that it, I don't think he's yeah he's and just like in ball. terms of his handle um so you know I I think he's going to take a step forward, but also like I pointed this out on Twitter yesterday before the game, like it's crazy how much more efficient Anthony Edwards has got has gotten as the season's gone on, as his usage has gone up. Most times, mm. like when you ramp a guy's usage up at 19 years old, playing in like they, for a team like Minnesota, like he just gets more inefficient. Yeah, they spiral like out of control, and Ant has taken like having to learn a completely new system for the most part in stride. He's gotten better. Um, he's, you know, he hasn't, I don't think Ant is selfish by any means. Like, I don't think he's. No. You look at him last night in the, in the last three minutes of that game against Toronto. At any point he could have decided, I want to shoot now. You know, I haven't got the ball. Like, well, what were we discussing off here? He hasn't sh- shot, a, the la- made a clutch the, field goal. So the Timberwolves have played in five quote unquote clutch games in the last seven games. And in clutch time, which is described as the game being within five points with five minutes or less left in the game, Ant hasn't scored in the last seven games in, in clutch time. Um, and last night he threw he threw three or four passes in that quote-unquote clutch time that he could have easily forced up a shot. And I think two of them led to made baskets. One of them led to a Vanderbilt missed layup. One led to a Vanderbilt make. Like... That's he's not selfish. He, he's a scorer, and he's starting. But he's not. And he's selfish. starting to realize the pressure that he's able to put on the defense, and like how he can use that to create for others. And he knows that it's Cat and Delo's team. Like he knows that those guys are the scorers that like need the ball down at the end of the game. And he's pointed that out himself in Zoom sessions at nineteen. Like I, I, I think, and Ant has shot the ball a lot better. Like his shot selection has gotten better, and he's learned like what that does for him at the NBA level specifically. Um, There is no reason why he can't take another step forward. Jalen Noel can't take another step forward. Like there's just so much growth to be had positively that can really impact the ceiling and the floor of the Timberwolves. Assuming that they're healthy. Like Timberwolves also have just had just shit injury luck and like, so have, I mean, so have other teams like Memphis and Golden State, and they've made it work. And credit to them, obviously. But like Minnesota at full strength, I think is better than Dallas at full strength. I think. Sorry, I do. I don't think I don't <laughs> think Tingus Pingus is all that good. I don't think you know any of the Mavs role players blow me away. Like I I don't think Josh Richardson is all that good. Like, I think Maxi Kleber is a better player than Josh Richardson is. I mean, I'd rather have Dorian Finney-Smith than Josh Richardson. Like, I'd rather have, I'd like to have Dorian Finney-Smith on the Timberwolves. Yeah, that's dude. The type, that's the type of dude who would slot into that, you know, eighth-man role. And their bench just isn't, Seamlessly. their bench just isn't impressive. Like, Brunson's great, but he's going to leave this summer. Someone else is going to pay no him. Shot, they have no shot creators at all, which really hurts. Yeah, and then, like, Denver. Outside of like, Luka, Jokic obviously. is incredible. But what do we think Denver's going to be with, like, their three best players are Jokic, Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr.? I'd much rather have Cat, uh, Ant, and D'Lo than those three. Yeah, I think they're a playoff team, but not a, you know, top four seed. 
Yeah, I, I think they do too. Because I, I mean, I you know, hopefully Jamal Murray can be back by like the first of the year next year. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and then you're still looking at like having 55 percent of the season left at that point, sixty percent of the season left at that point. Um, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, and you know. It, and and then you factor in if the Timberwolves get a top whatever pick. Yeah, well, that's the that's the X factor. Yeah, like I don't think if the Timberwolves get... are fucked by any means that they don't get the pick. But if they get the pick, like, nah, their options and their ceiling and their floor just skyrocket. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> we've talked about the pick enough. So, and <laughs> I've taken up, and I've taken up much and more of your time today. I know that we we wanted to go a little bit less than we did, but I think we hit on everything we wanted to and more because we've you know pumped out an hour and twenty minutes here. So, let's call it at that. We will, we will get back into it next weekend or you know in the upcoming weekends. Um, and, and yeah, we'll kind of see if. This team can start to put it together a little bit more now that that Cat's back, you know, after the personal uh, issues and uh, and you know the mourning of his mother, which was completely understandable. If, if it's not understandable to you, um, I'm not a big fan of yours, <laughs> um, you know, because a lot of people are definitely on Twitter having their say on that. But that's another that's a topic for another day. Um, Jack, I appreciate you, dude. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely. And like you were saying too, you know. Carl saying last night that, that he's kind of started to find peace in basketball again and have fun playing the game again and being around all of his teammates. Um, it's awesome. It is incredible. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for Carl um, just to start to be able to find things in life that bring him happiness and peace, and, and he deserves all that and more. Um, you know, he's, he's an incredible human being, um, incredible basketball player, um that that obviously we're, we're so fortunate to have um and and we'll have for a long long time so um you know obviously you know i, I hope that, that he can continue to find that happiness and peace hooping um you know this year and beyond and um then yeah and hopefully we can we can get a few more fun nights like like last night um before before we start to shit our pants about which way the ping pong balls drop. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's a perfect way to end it. Yeah, it's very well said. So um, I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for everything you do. Follow Jack, J.R. Borman13 on Twitter. Canis Hoopers, you should know by now. You know, you should be on there reading all that stuff. But Jack especially is is a great right eye and an even better dude. So thank you again, man. Absolutely. Always good to be with you, my man. All right. Peace, guys.